Compete to win real money playing your favorite games. On World Winner, you can enter cash tournaments in a ton of titles like Solitaire, Scrabble Cubes, Wheel of Fortune, and more. They've prized out more than $1.5 billion to date, and they just launched Angry Birds Champions, so now, for the first time ever, players can compete for cash in Angry Birds. Here's how it works. You can choose from a bunch of different tournaments and even practice with free warm-up games. Plus, you'll get matched with opponents of similar skill. Play online at worldwinner.com or download the World Winner iOS app. It's free to sign up. Be sure to use promo code ANTI to get your $20 in free game credits with your first deposit. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's March 9th, 2018. You're listening to the best poker cast on the interwebs. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. So, I think it was the last week I said that I had taken those PMs and I, I, I couldn't wake up. I was so groggy. Well, this week, I, I didn't get any sleep last night at all. So now I'm exhausted for a whole different reason. <laughs> you sound wide awake, though, so... Maybe I have narcolepsy. Oh, I, I certainly uh, could fall asleep on the dime, so... <laughs> I don't know whether I have narcolepsy, but... Uh, of of the lepsies, that would be the one that I would like, because I like sleeping. <laughs> you don't like leprosy? <laughs> so this is a weird week for us. We're recording a day early, uh, which is not that weird. But the weird part is I'm going on our cruise and you are not. Yeah, it's never cool when that happens because I love going on cruises. You tolerate it. Is that probably <laughs> that's a, a fair statement? That's a politically correct statement right there. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, we have just a couple days left in this uh, campaign here. So I got to stick around here and. Kiss babies and shake hands, and uh, you have to do the absolute drudgery work of eating until your heart's content and playing poker and having fun with friends. So, hey, don't uh, mix I appreciate those two things time. up, by the way. Don't mix those two <laughs> things up. Kissing yeah, babies and problem. shaking hands. Yeah, don't be shaking babies and kissing hands. That, uh, that'll get you in a lot of trouble. Uh, <laughs> well, so, I know you guys will have a good time. So. <clears throat> yeah, and I'm looking forward to it because this damn pollen. I mean, I've been yes. taking all of these drugs to try to, to combat these allergies, so I'm hoping that when I'm somewhere in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, the pollen won't reach me, and I'll actually feel good for a couple of days. <laughs> well, it's only a four-night cruise, so, you know. That's why yeah. I said two days. I'm hoping two days I'm happy, and two days I won't be, I guess. I don't know. Maybe the pollen's not as bad in Mexico. I don't know. <laughs> uh, one thing to remember, too, is that uh, we'll have a new episode of O'Malley this week, but we won't get back to it until probably two weeks because I may do a nice little short show on the on the ship with some of our special guests. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Excellent. And then uh, remember, folks, we have two more cruises coming up. And you can go to antiupcruises.com for all the details. Our next one would be well, – actually, three more cruises. I'm sorry. Three. I forgot about – next month I get to go on a cruise with yes. you. Yes. So, yeah, still time to get on the uh, nine-nighter uh, to the ABC Islands next month. That is going to be really cool, uh, particularly because I'm missing this one. Um, and then uh, we're sailing to Cuba at the end of July again. That's always fun and neat. And then uh, going back to Cozumel and Key West in October. And then uh, we will start to put together our 2019 schedule here in the next couple months. So lots of opportunities, but don't wait for that schedule. Come on one of the three cruises we have left this year. No March cruises. We're done with March cruises. <laughs> I'm tired of covering for your butt. Yeah, I know. I appreciate that. That's uh, the only two I've missed have been in March. Yeah, so we're not having any more of those. Yeah. Uh, a bit of sad news today. Uh, Paul McGrill, uh, known as X-22 and known for quacking at the table uh, for bets that involve a deuce, uh, died this week at the age of 71. Perhaps the greatest backgammon player in history. He was just remarkable. Uh, but he made a name for himself in poker before the boom – uh, he was obviously a really good player, um, but then had the occasional final table appearance during the boom, too, so he got a little bit of notoriety for that. His greatest contribution to poker, Scott, the M principle, or yes. better known as M, your M ratio. Uh, the guy was just a genius. Um, and it was weird. I, I had read a nice little piece by um, Nolan Dalla on him, and uh, 
you know, he had some old vintage photos of him, you know, dressed in a tuxedo, you know, playing the the high-stakes backgammon. And he had written that book called Backgammon that sold like 10,000 copies the first week it was out. And he had a New York Times column. Just The guy was just... uh, uh, his mind was just on a level that you can't even imagine. And uh, so I, I like to make sure we pay homage to people like this because these are the guys that really cleared the way for us. And some people may not know. They may have just getting into poker or they may not have watched poker on TV to know who he was back in, you know, 03, 04, 05, that kind of thing. So just a sad day, sad day that he's gone. Yeah, and I certainly remember him back. That's back when we were starting the show, and the uh, World Poker Tour was just starting on TV, and you know we watched every single episode yep. and waited for it, right? Yep. Um, and I, I always remember the one episode that he was on where he did the quack quack for the, the first time I saw it, right? Yeah. And then they explained it, and you know Mike Sexton and Vince Van Patten explained it, and I'm like, all right, that's great. And then I start to feel felt bad for him because, you know, once somebody hears that and they're like, oh, that's kind of funny and cute. Then every time they have a deuce, they show it to him, or he shows it, and they're like, you're not going to do it, and then puts him on the spot, right? <laughs> yeah. And it got really annoying after a while, because it wasn't him doing it, it was people asking him to do it. Right. You know, it's, you know, like, remember Chris Farley would ever go into a room, and even if he was depressed, people would want him to be the big, fat, happy guy, right? Yeah. And he would have to do it. Um, and so I, I always remember kind of feeling a little bit bad for him. That I mean, obviously he started it, <laughs> so, um, but uh, that kind of stuff is fun in small doses. So you know, I remember finding out about how how fantastic of a backgammon you know savant he was, and and thinking to myself, well, I played backgammon as a kid. How how hard can it be? You know, what's what's the big deal? And then it's just as a whole. It's standing with poker when you're a kid. You know, you're playing five card draw with your dad or your grandparents or something, and you're like, "Oh, how can people play this for a living?" I mean, it's you know, it's just so easy. Either you make your straight or you don't, or you make your full house or you don't, or something, and you don't even understand the level of of what these people can do with these with these games or competitions. And God, he was so good at backgammon. I was reading some of his accomplishments; it was just insane. He had a 17 hour match once. Uh, like for the for the world championship, it just it's just crazy, and I just I feel like we deserved he deserved a few minutes of our time today, and uh, sad he's gone. And it's pretty young age too, seventy one. This day and age, you know, you, people live to their eighties, nineties, even hundreds. So yeah. you know, it's kind of sad. All right. Well, I thought this was an interesting column. Uh, Carlos Welch uh, wrote a column on PokerNews.com detailing a recent $125 buy-in live tournament he played without looking at his cards, Chris, Uh uh, with the exception of when he was facing an all-in bet. Among his observations, he folded all hands from early position. He consistently raised loose limpers with capped ranges, and he shoved every hand from late position when he had 20 or fewer big blinds. And the one thing he didn't say in the article, which I think everybody's probably interested in, is how he did. Oh, he never said how he did. No, it was a 400. I didn't read person it. Tournament. He never mentioned how he did. So, oh, I, I guess it's really not all that important because I think uh, uh, he did a really good job of, of explaining what he meant by all the things that he did. So I definitely encourage people to go to PokerNews.com and read that uh, article. But but yeah, I, I went back like twice and I'm like, you had to say somewhere in here how he did and. <laughs> I didn't see it. He's out level one. I mean, here's the thing: it's hard to actually say when you how well you did unless you want it because he mentions uh, Ned Overspread in there, who you know famously did this online, right? And yeah. won. Yeah. So, so she set the bar so high <laughs> that unless you do it and win, you probably don't want to mention. Well, there's another famous person who did it too and won. That's me. Don't you remember? <laughs> I was, I was How do you forget that? There, yes, I did it as a sit and go though. I had a ten handed sit and go online. I did it. Same, same. Uh, I pretty much. It must be like the playbook or something because I did pretty much the same thing that this guy did and what she did. Never looked at my cards unless I was facing an all in. And I think when I got heads up, I think I looked at my cards because it was so fast and furious, or whatever. But I think when we were finally heads up for the the win, I think I finally looked at my cards. I can't remember now. But uh, yeah, I did that. One thing is, it's easier not to look at the cards heads up. I think because you're you're playing position, which you have every other hand, and and everybody's ranges are completely wide, right? Because you only have one opponent. I would think that would be the time that you could actually get away with it. More yeah, often. I can't but, remember what I did. I, I'm pretty sure I may, I may have gotten nervous and said, "All right, I'm not going to give up this victory just because I'm trying this experiment for five bucks." 
And uh, I may have actually started looking at my cards. I can't remember now. I think I did look at my cards, though. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Why would... I mean, I guess maybe, you know, hey, Poker News, I'm going to write a column for you for, you know, pay me 500 bucks for my column, and I'll take 125 <laughs> of it and enter a tournament. Otherwise, why are you wanting to just throw away $125 for the experience? I mean, I, well, I mean, I, I would argue this. I, I think what the, the you know, I, I listed some of the observations. I think there might have been a couple more on there. I could be wrong. But, um, but this is pretty solid stuff anyhow. And I think his point here, and I don't know if he said it, set out for this point, was to focus on the fundamentals. You know, we're in the middle of spring training right now, right? So yeah. a lot of... You know, ground ground balls being hit, and you know, making proper pitches, and uh, and I, I tend to think that poker players get away from those fundamentals at some point. Um, when we think about how many hands of the week that we seem like experts, even though we're terrible, right? But yeah. um, and it always ends up with hey, somebody played a hand in early position, and they couldn't, you know, they got in so- trouble because of it, right? Because right. position is so important. Um, you know, they they lost a hand because they weren't aggressive enough against somebody that was exploitable. Um, or they are down to five big blinds and shoving or folding at 10 big blinds when, you know, 15 at least. And here he said 20, um, is very effective. So, um, I thought that was interesting. I mean, that's probably the strategy I would put together. Um, if somebody forced me to do this, but I wouldn't willingly do it, which I guess is your point, right? <laughs> mm, right. But he gave himself a, a $125 lesson, I guess. Yeah, you know, that's he taught himself a lesson for $125. And he may have cashed, I and mean, we don't even know. We, we, we wish he'd that's written true. it. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, very interesting. It seems to come, crop up every couple of years on our show that someone's trying something like this. Any updates? Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi is hosting its next Annie Up Poker Tour event. The Pearl River Spring Poker Classic, March 15th to the 25th, featuring eight events highlighted by an $810 buy-in, 100K guarantee main event. The winner will appear on the May cover of Anti-Up Magazine and get an entry into the 2018 Anti-Up World Championship main event. For more information, visit antiupmagazine.com slash pearlriver. Also, Viquiva Hotel and Casino near Phoenix will host the Anti-Up Spring Poker Classic Anti-Up Poker Tour event, March 22nd to the 24th. The winner of the $300 buy-in 50K guarantee main event will appear on the cover of the April issue of Annie Up Magazine and get entry into the 2018 Annie Up World Championship main event. For more information, including satellite schedule and a special hotel room offer, visit AnnieUpMagazine.com slash Viquiva. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at AnnieUpMagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. Comes from Mike Petsy. Huh? Uh, pad tie cast. Pad tie. I tried to say that, too. I'm telling you, I'm exhausted. <laughs> little peanut sauce? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Mike Petsy, he says, we're 10-handed at a 1-2 uh, cash game. He sits with 730 bucks, up 430 and he has everyone well covered. I call a preflop raise with queen of clubs, jack of clubs, and see a flop of ace of diamonds, king of hearts, ten of clubs. I bet 30 bucks and get one caller who was the preflop raiser. A terrible but most interesting card hits the turn, the king of clubs. Uh, it checks around. Alas, our hand does not improve and things get uh, just get worse with the jack of hearts hits the river. My flopped nuts have now shriveled up like George Costanza in the pool. <laughs> Anyway, with really with nothing I can beat, I decide to check and just hope somehow I'm good. My opponent grabs fifty dollars in chips and slams them into the table. I don't know if it's my stack size, my frustration, or just plain stupidity. And he says in parentheses, "I'm going with this one." <laughs> I just smile and call, and he tables ace ace for aces full. I know folding on the end is the play. Heck, I knew two streets ago what this guy likely had. So what is that makes me make a call like that, knowing there is virtually no way I can be ahead? Yeah, uh, I thought this was interesting because yeah. I see this a lot. And what I told him is that is I believe we get so married to flopping the nuts that it just we don't allow ourselves to ever let it go, even in the face of all kinds of warning, don't go on there signs. 
that tell you that somebody caught up to you. It's just really, really hard um, mentally for a lot of players to fold the nuts. Uh, or fold when they flop the nuts, I mean. Yeah. Well, a couple of things here. One, I think I agree with him that when you're up $430 and you flop the nuts, there was a pre-flop raise, so whatever that could have been. So let's say it was to 15 and there's 30 in the pot, and then you bet 30 to bet pot, and then he calls 30, so there's 90 in the pot, and he bets 50, hoping to represent something that you don't. Maybe he's chopping with you, but hoping that you'll fold. You're looking at all that, and you're thinking, well, there's 140 in the pot. I'm basically getting almost 3 to 1 on my money with Broadway. Maybe this guy is, you know, got the same hand as me somehow, you know, and... You know, he's got pocket queens or he's got a queen or something, you know, and he's just trying to steal it. So you start to rationalize, um, hey, I'm up 430. If I call here, I'm still up 350, you know, for the day, you know, at a 1-2 game, which is still huge. You'll get information on this guy, how he plays aces, how he plays a wet board when he has top set. You know, there's things that run through your mind. And then, like you said, too, I mean, you know, you got the nuts and when it, as a hand progresses, you still can't let go of the fact that you just fought Broadway and you want the world to see, you know, that you had flopped this hand and all this irrational stuff starts to come in and then you you decide to call. But, you know, I mean, it happens all the time, too. How many times, even if it's not something as significant as this or flopping nuts or whatever, you just, at the end, you look at the hand and you're like, you know you can kiss these chips goodbye like Daniel Negreanu does, although I would never actually do it like he does because there's a lot of germs on those chips. <laughs> But he sits there and he kisses the stack and he throws it in there because he knows he's basically just going to get information for this. He knows he's probably beat. But every once in a while, you only have to be right, you know, so many times to make it worth your while, that kind of thing. So there's all these things going through your mind and, and you make the call. It might be a little frustration. could be all those things, I think, like he said, or just plain stupidity. So he's right. I think he's nailed it for himself, but we just had to comment to, to complete his misery, I think. Yeah, and I don't think this is the case – with Mike, because he, he, he's got great humor with this, right? Yeah. But I see this happen all the time in Omaha. You know, because in Omaha, you, you flop nuts a lot more than you do in Hold'em, right? Because you have so many more combinations. And I see people, like, make that last call, turn over their hand, because they, they want the misery, right? They want the misery <laughs> of saying, I flopped it, and then you got lucky. Yeah. In a limit game by calling one bet, right? When you had <laughs> 14 outs, you got lucky. Yeah, okay. Uh, they just want the misery of being able to shout and scream and show people, hey, look what I had, and then you got lucky. Um, I, you know, I, I've done that myself, but I try not to do it much anymore, and I don't really understand the upside of doing that. You know, you know it costs you money to be angry. <laughs> I don't like being angry, and I don't like losing money. So... I don't think anybody does, so there's two reasons not to do it. So plus, you're you're telling the whole world that you can't let go of a hand. Yeah, that's a good point. You yep. know, so you're showing them, hey, I'm unlikely to fold. So when I know I have the nuts and I can tell that you've got second best hand, I'm gonna bet, you know, uh, just as much as possible. So with impunity, as they say. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't I wouldn't beat yourself up over this. You're clearly a, a better player at that table, being up so much. And I'm sure after that moment you were still up 350 and walked away with a nifty profit. So I wouldn't beat yourself up with it. But yeah, I think the reason we call is is pretty obvious now. Um, and like I said, it wasn't that bad of a price on your money in case he was splitting the pot. I mean, I guess you think if you're splitting the pot, yeah, it's kind of a bad price. But um, you know, he could have been bluffing. He could have been representing. He could have saw that you slowed down by checking the turn and thought, I'm going to steal it here because this guy, you know, you, he doesn't know you have Broadway. He, he thinks you might have just had you know, an ace or a king or something. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't fault yourself too much on that. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is set up with J-Design Playing Cards, the official playing cards of Annie Up Poker Cruises, available at classicplayingcards.com. And you know what? On this cruise, we're actually going to be using J-Design cards because I'm going to make sure that you load the right totes this time. So, yeah. So we don't have to get those knockoff cards we used yeah, last time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm never going to forget. I'm always going to needle you a little bit on that. Yeah, always a good idea to uh, to bring that up in front of our customers. 
seriously, like the, the the worst business decision you ever made in your life is to do that. But it's okay. We'll move on. Uh, this comes from Tim McKinnon. We made it work. He says, uh, this play happened this past weekend, and I'm told by the dealer and other players it was legitimate, but I don't understand it. A very good regular was short-stacked with 68 bucks on the button since he just endured two suckouts. As the cards are dealt, he announced a bet of $18 and stacks it on his button before looking at his cards. Everyone folded to him, so it was inconsequential. But the dealer's explanation was confusing to me. Does the under-the-gun still act first? Do you have to call the $18, or can you open for less? If you open for less, must the $18 bet stand, or can he just call the lesser open bet? Uh, button styles are not allowed in this casino. Other than blind stealing, what's the point of this play? Well, all right. So, <laughs> um, there is no play here is the problem. He <laughs> uh, said there's no button straddle, so it's not a button straddle, right? right. It's, it's a blind bet out of uh, out of turn. turn. Yeah. So a proper dealer would push the $18 back to him and announce to the table, hey, gentleman here wants to call 18. It's not his turn. Act accordingly. Yeah, yes, yeah, right? Yeah. Even Maybe not even say that because now you're kind of like... Um, so now as a player, now you have to decide whether the guy's going to put the $18 in or not. Um, but the fact that he put it in there and then the dealer properly shoved it back which I don't know if that happened here, but it should have, um, is the right thing. And now you just got to make a decision on how to play your hand. Um, and that's what I tell people all the time. I'm like, uh, you have to play your hand. So if this guy, if you think this guy is going to put 18 in and you have a hand that you're willing to call two with, but not 18 fold, but that doesn't mean that he's going to actually make that $18 bet. So, if you have a hand that you think is good, then, you know, play it the right way. Yeah, because he parenthetically told us that button straddles are not allowed here, then all the stuff you said is true. If the button straddle was allowed, then everything changes. But in this case, since we know the button straddle is not allowed, it's it's surprising to me that the players at the table didn't at least speak up and say, hey, can he do that? Or, hey, is that the bet now? Or, hey, what do I, you know... They just saw that, saw the guy was steaming, and just folded like a, you know, like a sprinkler head. And so I, I think that that is kind of terrible that this guy's steaming. But the dealer really should have reined him in and said, "Look, I know you got a couple of bad beats, or hey, I know, whatever you're short now, or hey, you're frustrated, or or just hey, you can't do that." You know? Yeah, that's that's it. I mean, you don't have to get any emotion in yeah. it. Just you, you have to wait for your turn to make a bet. Yeah. So and then usually what happens is the guy's like, well, I'm going to bet it, whatever, I don't care. And all right, that's fine. But um, again, you have to play your hand. And so he did ask, what's the point of this play? I mean, I, I think you've seen part of it. <laughs> Everybody folded to him, right? Yeah. And now he's not obligated to make that bet now. So, you know, I guess certainly not suggesting anybody do this because it's Deutsche Bankery. But um it succeeded in getting everybody to fold to him, and then I assume he put that 18 anyhow and picked up the blinds. So, I mean, he says other than blind stealing, what's the point of the play? Well, not much, I guess, but it's not a rational strategy. So if that's what you're looking for is a rational – an argument for the rational strategy – and it, it doesn't exist. Yeah, and he asked if the under the gun still acts first. Yeah, because it, since there is no button straddle, everything proceeds normally, and you could raise whatever you want to raise to because that guy does not gain position because he did that. This is not a button straddle room. So you could have made it 56 to go. You could have made it 10 to go. Whatever you want to do is up to you because that $18 doesn't really exist until it gets to him. I, I'd have to question what you said before. I, I think that the bet stands, though. If, it, if action doesn't change until it gets to him. Right? Well, you know, I guess what I'm true? saying is the dealer should have pushed it back. Yeah, no, I'm saying, but in this case, he didn't. So when it gets to him, that 18 has to stand, I think, right? Because I, the money's out yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, it was an improper bet, yeah. but I would imagine that would be the ruling. I mean, the, the floor would probably rule that way and then remind the dealer right. <laughs> they need to properly manage the game so it doesn't happen. But Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Um, but And the other thing I would say here, too, is... Uh, if you're in this game and you're not the $18 Deutsche Bank, right, um, I also don't think there's any obligation on your part to explain to other players. You know, let the dealer do what they need to do, but if the dealer makes a mistake and 
you point out the mistake and the dealer doesn't do anything about it. Other players are going to ask, you know, is that going to stay or not? I mean, there's no obligation on your part to help other players understand the rules, I think. So, you know, again, you you can use that to your advantage if you feel like it in this particular hand. Um, And then after the hand's over, then feel free to (laughs) explain what went on and how it was wrong. But uh, in the middle of the hand, I mean, it's the dealer's responsibility to make this right. And it's player's responsibility to understand what is correct and not. And it's your responsibility to play your hand as well as you can. So we have to wonder if maybe this was Mike Petsy after that flopped <laughs> Broadway flop. loss to a full house. <laughs> Did he now put the money on the straddle? Cause no, cause he obviously wouldn't be down to 68 bucks, but uh, anyway, Hey, you know what? We've got a brand new O'Malley's move. And just a reminder, we'll probably revisit this in two weeks. So here it comes. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I am Malcolm O'Malley. This week is the final week in that five cent, ten cent no limit hold'em home game. We're still seven-handed, and the night is winding down. We only have about another half hour of play left, and we sit with what we started with: twenty dollars. The blinds post, and we're under the gun with the jack of hearts, jack of clubs. We make our standard three x raise to thirty cents. We get one collar from the button, but the rest of the table folds. This is the first time this player has played in our home game, and he seems to have a good grasp on the game. He plays a loose, aggressive style, but not overly aggressive, and he is by no means maniacal. He sits with around $25. There's $0.75 in the pot, and the flop is a decent one. The jack of diamonds, ten of hearts, nine of hearts comes down. With top set, I can't complain too much here. We do our standard seabed and make it $0.50 to go. Our opponent thinks for a short time before making the call. There's 175 in the pot, and the turn is the four of clubs. This is pretty much a blank. We make it 140 to go. Same story. Our opponent thinks briefly before calling. With 455 in the pot, the river is the six of spades. I really see no reason to slow down now. We make a 350 bet into the pot, and the villain raises us to $10. We have top set here, but there are a few hands that beat us. If we call, we are down to under $8. If we fold, we have just over 14 The night's almost over. What's the move? It's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Our good friend, Big Guru, is back, Chris. Yes. And uh, it's a 1-3 No Limit Hold'em cash game up at uh, MGM National Harbor, that brand-new casino uh, right outside Washington, which I have not had a chance to get to yet, but looking forward to. Yep. He said, I just sat down with $100 and doubled up to squiggly 225 on the first hand, turn two pair. That's a good day in the office. So, you know, it, it's that's I think that's you get up and leave at that point, right? Yeah, I think so. Nothing's going to get better for you after that. You know, you doubled up as, as like putting $100 on black and at, uh, having it come in, like the, the guy last week we talked about. <laughs> um, but anyhow, he says, uh, this hand is uh, about an orbit later. Pretty much every, everyone at the table has him covered, and uh, the villain in this hand has the largest stack, squiggly 750. Wow. Um, uh, and he is under the gun and dealt eight. Eight. Jeez. No seats, I guess. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, you, you like to raise, um, but I really don't see very much difference between eight eight and say five five, other than three ticks on the pips. You know, I mean, I, to me, it's just a set mining pair. I mean, I, if I'm if it's later in the hand or later in the rotation or whatever, I might raise because I've only got a few more people to get through. But I don't know. I mean, you know, again, it depends on the table. It depends on what you're doing. If if you're if you're just playing the players because you know how they play so well that you know that an under the gun raise, they're all going to believe you have aces or ace king, something like that. Then you just make the raise. Sometimes you just set mine with this. If it's a passive table, you're glad to just throw in the three bucks and see where it goes from there. Um, I don't know anything about this table really. He doesn't really either. Um, Generally, if they don't know anything about me, I tend to raise with my hands when I first enter a pot, especially under the gun. 
So I guess I'm going to raise with this, but just be cognizant of the fact that you just have eights um, <coughs> and that there aren't a lot of people who play this game that will play the player. You know, there are some, and a guy who's got 750 in his in his stack may be the pl- type of player who plays that way. So keep that in your mind when you're playing this guy. But other than that, I don't know. I could play this so many different ways. Um, but I, in this case, I probably would raise the standard amount just because I have a made hand. No one really knows how I play. I doubled up on the first hand, so you know I've got a little bit of money to play with here without even feeling it. So I don't know. Whatever the standard raise would be, whatever he's experienced in this one rotation, I would probably make it that. Yeah, I think you said it right. A lot of this, this all depends on your feeling of the table, I think. Um, you know, if it's a table that it's somewhat passive, I'm definitely raising with this because it's a decent hand and I'm under the gun and I can represent a pretty wide range. Um, if, if it's a little crazier of a table, I have no problem um, limping here and hoping to, to get to a flop for three bucks um, and set mine. Um and if it's a table where you're consistently, you feel like you're getting outplayed, you're not as skilled as someone else, this is a hand I'd be happy to fold and not get involved with at this point, with this position. Again, go back to what our, like Carlos Welch said at the beginning of the show, you know, he folded every hand in early position <laughs> because yeah. it just, he gets, it has potential to get you in a lot of trouble. So um, in any one of those three things I could defend depending on how the table is. So the decision has to be based on, how the table is and so the problem is here that we've only been there in orbit right so we really have no information on it so at that point i i always like to proceed cautiously until i feel more confident in mm-hmm. my knowledge so i'm either gonna fold this um or limp and i think i, I would to me it's worth the three dollars to see whether i can get to a flop and if someone raises to 20 after that and there's no other callers or one collar and I just don't feel it's worth it, then then I'll fold and three dollars should cost a business. Um so I'm gonna call. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, and I, I see uh no no fault in that either. And I probably would try and imagine hands in my head that I've done in the past, I mean I have done that too. It just depends on the table and the the image I'm trying to project. Usually I'm trying to enter a pot for a raise no matter what when I'm the first one to enter. But in this case, yeah, a call isn't that bad of a play either. Um and like you said, if you call and somebody just makes it 12 or something, then you're like, well, I'm glad to call 9 now. You know, I might close the betting, you know, and uh, and I'll still get to see a flop for that. And you got a pre-flop raiser. If you flop a set, now you're definitely going to get money because you're going to check to them. You know, so there are a lot of reasons to call, too. So I don't fault either. And I, I could even, even, you know, defend a fold, um, but not very strongly. <laughs> so, all right, so I'm going to raise just for the fun of it, and you're going to call. Yeah. Oh, and the last thing I'll say before we move on about the call too is remember. I mean, most most players have got more sophisticated now, so the uh, the limp re-raise from under the gun is not a, a an effective play. But there are still a lot of people that fall for that as well too. So I mean, by by limping here, you do retain the possible. I mean, the potential of re-raising if it's raised behind you and trying to represent aces or kings. If yeah. you really. Um, squirrely. Uh, again, I wouldn't suggest that here because we don't know the table, but it does give you some options. So it's not as weak as it looks. Um, even though I imagine some players would say calling here is weak. So, all right, uh, our hero calls three dollars and then <laughs> says weak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, next player folds. The next player raises to twelve dollars, which he says seems to be the table standard raise. Uh, two more calls. And the big blind calls, and it's back to us. That, well, geez, so, so am I? I wonder if I'm can assume that the villain was the one who made that raise, but um, I'm definitely calling now. I mean, I was going to call if it was just heads up. Never mind all those other calls. Now you're clearly getting enough money to try to do this, so right, I'll call yeah. the nine dollars to try to make the set here. Yeah, we have what one, two, three, four callers. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this is. That's a pretty good scenario here now. And then, uh, I mean, it does shrink our hand up to set mining now. I, I think it's going to be very hard uh, to imagine too many flops, turns, and rivers where we feel confident without improving. But uh, at least we know where we are, and it, our our play is defined, which makes it a little bit easier, I think. So, 
Um, all right, so our hero does call. The flop is Deuce Five Six Rainbow, and first the big blind checks, and the action is on us. See, I knew this was going to happen, and yeah, I, I was going to say it before it happened, but I didn't. <laughs> They're going to come all unders. you got to wonder if somebody's got a pair bigger than your eights, but you know you have a pair bigger than the board. And uh, I knew this was going to happen, put us in this situation. The funny thing here is that we didn't take any aggressive stance now. Had I raised... Well, if we raised, we, we didn't take advantage of it. So right. otherwise, it would really be effective here now, I think, and we didn't do that. So. so now that we haven't done that and we didn't do what I wanted to do, now we're stuck in this situation where... Being passive is not really that bad of an idea either, you know, because, okay, so you've got an overpair. No one will put you on an overpair because you limp called. Somebody may have hit that set because you've got other, all these other callers, you know, uh, so you're kind of worried about that a little bit. Um, and then you're worried about the guy behind you who made the raise probably having an overpair to your eights. So I don't know. I don't know if I'd bet right out now because it would be kind of fishy. You you played this so passively. Now all of a sudden you come alive, and if somebody has aces, they're not going to believe you had a set because they're going to think, "Hey, why wouldn't he just check to me? I'm the one that took the aggression, and then check raise me or, or walk me." So I don't know if they believe that you had anything bigger than say sixes or eights. So right. I don't know. I might just check. Yeah, let's yeah, just check. I, I think a check is the way to go here because we're going to assume that the initial raiser is going to see bet here with all these people in here with this board, right? Yeah. We're, Whatever you're, that holding is, this is a flop that you're going to bet, I think. So let's not poke the bear here. Um, let's check and then see what that bet is and see what the rest of the action is, and then we can decide at that point. Um, I mean, right now I feel pretty good with my hand. Um, you know, everything could change on the turn. You know, if, uh, if paint comes, then it may not be that exciting. But, you know, right now I'm feeling pretty good about it, but not enough to get into a war um, until I see what the initial razor feels like. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, our hero says, I check. And he says, weak again. I don't think it's weak. I think that's proper. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I could defend a bet, but I think the bet's going to get... You, you, now you're you're taking that aggressive action, like you mentioned, out of position. Yep. Without knowing what the initial razor is going to do. So, I... I I don't think a check here is weak. I don't. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. It folds uh, over to uh, seat 10. I don't know what seat 10 is. Um, uh, but he bets 25. Everyone else folds, and it's back to us. Hmm. And that was the initial razor did fold here. So this is a, uh, a player who just called the 12-hour raise. Okay. Um, very interesting, because if you have to, if you're going to go through the the hand ranges now, and and the the way a player would play a hand now, if the person had a hand bigger than ours, would they not have re-raised the twelve if they had something in the high paint? Um, and if they had something like nines, they might play it this way. If they had something like sixes, would they bet now? When they had that other guy, pre, you know, I don't know where this is in the situation. Or I don't know if the guy who made it twelve folds after this guy bets twenty five, or if you check to him. Or, so it's kind of tough yeah. to do it this way. Yeah, it's, it's hard to figure this out right now. I see numbers, but but in, in my case, if if I'm thinking that the villain is still yet to to act, and we're betting into him twenty five, then I'm thinking we're probably beat with our eights. Believe it or not, if I'm thinking that everyone checked this guy and he's hoping to maybe steal it with a $25 bet, then maybe I'm calling. So I'm going to go with that train of thought that they checked around to the guy in position. The guy said, Oh, here's my chance to steal this pot. No one seems interested in it. Right. You know, and I've hit this six with my suited a six or something. Um, so I'm going to go with that train of thought and call this bet. Uh, I like to call here as well too, because it, our hand is still, we're giving them no information, right? Yeah. yeah. Raise, then you know who knows what could happen at that point. Um, if he's stealing, I mean, obviously a raise here would probably win the pot for us. But um, it, our opponents, we're giving them almost zero information here. I mean, we limped pre-flop, we called the twelve-dollar raise, we checked this flop, and just called the twenty-five-dollar bet. 
So he, he's got to be confused about what we have, um, and that gives us some options. Um, actually, I think a lot of options on the next street, um, or the next two streets for that matter. Um, all right. Our hero says, I uh, considered raising or folding, but decided to call. And once again, he says weak. So <laughs> I don't know. apparently we're all weak. <laughs> I guess we're all weak right now. All right. The turn is a seven. So the board now is two, five, six, seven. And uh, I believe we are first to act. Yes, we are first to act. Well, I love that card because now we're open ended with a pair over it. You know, I mean, I, I, I maybe we just keep controlling the pot and keep checking and seeing this guy really. Maybe he checks behind now, and you get your free turn, your free look at the the river. Um, I don't know. I, I well, I like this card a lot too because you know I'm thinking on the last street the guy doesn't have if you had three four and you had the straight there you're not going to bet right. There's no no one can put you on that hand. Mm. Might as well let somebody try to catch up. And there's rainbow, so you didn't have to worry about uh, flush getting there. Um, but I could see a seven eight making that bet and trying to get it with um, you know win it, win it right there. Right, and not, right, right. And if that's the case, uh, he had nothing. Now he improved, but we're still better. Right. So um, I think that's a pretty good card for us. So. Um, Again, I guess we got to figure out whether this player is going to we think he's going to continue to bet or not. This is why like being out of position always sucks, yet, right? Yeah, yeah, you never want to be out of position. You just don't, and that's why it's if you're going to be out of position, you want to take control of the hand early, and then just try to shut it down as soon as possible. In this case, you've been passive the whole way, and that's why he keeps putting weak in parentheses because you know yeah. it's you are being the passive person here. Uh, in this case, I I have no problem checking calling because um, we have the open ended straight draw. We still have an over pair, believe it or not, and it's well disguised. So, you know what? Check the guy might check behind. You get a free card, and if he bets another reasonable amount, well, you still have what could be the winning hand. This guy could still have something like a six, or like you said, he could have had seven eight, and now he's got sevens. You know, so with no chance of winning the hand other than another seven. So, yeah, I think I, I was inclined to bet, but I, I I think that the check is still not a weak move here because, again, he's got to be confused as to what we have. So if he checks behind, at that point, uh, I'm not really fearful of too many cards. I mean, as you mentioned, we're open-ended, so we could get a card that actually improves our hand. Um, I, I'm not excited about getting my set now at that point. That would be a concern, but... Um, but if it's an ace, a king, queen, jack, any of those things, we can now represent those cards. Um, and, you know, it's possible that our opponent has that card as well, too, which would be a problem. But we can represent a lot of hands now by checking, um, you know, when we bet on the river. Can you? I mean, can you really represent, so. like, ace, king here? Why would you call the blank I definitely, blank? Could, I could definitely justify I mean, I could represent ace, king, I think, here. I mean, we don't have anything. We have ace high, but it's all unders. I mean, I know, but two it, streets of betting. If this guy bets out on us now, there's no way you could call with well, these no, kings back. I'm saying, I'm saying he checks behind. Oh, he checks behind. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, that's yeah, if checks he bets behind. Now, then obviously we got to okay. decide what we want to do. Yeah, and... yeah. All right, so checks behind, then we can represent. Okay. Right. Um, yeah, I'm going to check. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, our hero says, "I try to look uh, strong and casually bet the smaller my two stacks of red, which is either eighty or eighty-five dollars." Seat 10 without delay, uh, but also not unusually quickly, announces all-in and advances a stack of green $25 chips. Hmm. So in the tank, I have squiggly 88 left in my stack. Hmm. Uh, well, we're beat. So we're going to have to hit our straight or our 8 to win. I don't, I don't know if we can do that. Well, 8, well, it's 10 outs, right? Uh, if we're, yeah, if we're, if we need, yeah, to... If we hit any of those cards, they're all good outs, I think. Unless right? he's got pocket nines, then the eights aren't outs. That's true, that's true, I guess, but... Um, I know, I'm just narrowing it and trying to be no, you're right, you're very right. specifically yeah, narrow, but... the only hand that's really tough for us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if he's got eight, nine, we're basically drawing to a tie. 
if he somehow was trying to steal and then made it. That's what we're, you know what I mean? Who knows? Um, but those are like such crazy hands. I don't know. I think I'm probably still folding. I, I feel like I just sat down at the table. Yep. You know, I sat down for a hundred. If I fold now, I'm down basically one hand. You know, uh, all my profits gone. But you know, I got into trouble with this hand and bet out. I never would have bet out here. I don't think. Um, but at the same time, you have outs. So if you're feeling, you know, that this guy is making a move on you in any any way, if any way you feel like this guy doesn't have it, you got outs to what probably is the winning hand, and you might want to call. You're definitely getting the right amount of money to call. This guy's got, let's see, we, we bet 25, and then he shoves. Oh, we bet 80, I mean, and then he shoves. So it was 50 in the pot plus the initial. Yeah, there's a lot of money in this pot. So you're definitely getting the right odds, to, I think, to try to do this. I, I, it's close, um, but I don't I don't know. It's a close close call, I think, for me. Depends how you're feeling, I guess, and how you're feeling about the table. You know, if you think that if you rebuy, you'll be able to get your money back pretty easily, then, you know, this is something to consider, too, because uh, your money's out there. It's kind of a rebuy tournament where you're like, hey, uh, those chips are there, but I'm going to get them back. Right. Um, but in this case, I don't know. I I really feel like we're beat, and we have to hit something now to win. And that when I hate to be in that position with one card to come. If it was two cards to come and they did on the turn, I might be like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a chance here because I got two cards. Right. And, you know, but with one to come, and I feel like I'm beat, I think I'm laying it down, saving that money. Um, so I, what I think is interesting about this, again, because we get a lot of hands from one, two, one, three games, which is really hard to figure out, right? Because, you know, some hand of the week, people playing games where they feel like players have advanced their knowledge mm-hmm. at that level. And others, uh, but still kind of the gateway game, right? The beginner's game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... What's interesting about our opponent's bet is, does he think that we are committed and we have to call, and therefore he's doing it because he has the best hand he wants us to call? Or does he think that by shoving all in that we might decide to fold, that we want to hold on to our our stack? And it could go either way, uh, and, and we don't have a good read on him, so that's a real problem, I think. Um, yeah, I hate, I hate coin flip. Decisions like that, and I hate that the only way I'm good is if I'm catching a bluff. I hate that. So, to me, I would, you know, I have outs catching a bluff too, but it's just, to me, it just seems like it's too much. You have to be a perfect reader here to do that, I think. And in this case, I don't know if I am, especially just sitting down at the table with one rotation. Um, I don't know. I think I'm letting it go. Yeah, I could defend either way, I think, at this point. Um,. I think the cautiousness in me is going to fold here. Um, but I, um, to be honest, I'm really, really intrigued. I really do feel like there's a chance that we are ahead. And, uh, or if not, I, I do think we have 10 clean outs. And so I would think in the, in the heat of the moment, I'm probably going to call here. Um, but I think they very, the reflective Scott here would fold. Okay. Which one do you want to go with? <laughs> there you go. That covers both uh, <laughs> both spectrums. Either call or fold. Uh, you're going to do one or the other. Yeah. Well, I mean, and here's the other thing, I guess, you got to think about. And I, and I know people argue about this because once you have that money in your stack, it is your money, right? Yeah. Um, but he, he purposely bought in what I would imagine is probably the minimum, right? $100? Yeah. Um, and, and I buy him from the minimum quite often, and it's because – I, I want to have an option to put another hundred on the table if something goes wrong, right? Right. Again, we, we could debate that strategy later on because I know a lot of people don't agree with it. But if that's the case here, I've got that hundred in my pocket, and I think you already mentioned this a little bit. Um, I might be willing to gamble here, knowing just like you said, it's like a rebuy tournament. I, I could put that other hundred on there, and I will feel bad that I, I doubled up on one hand and lost it all here, but. I don't know. Part of me is just really curious here, so I, I might have to make the curiosity call and and then be reminded that I shouldn't be curious. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're calling. I'm folding. I, I like that. Call. At least we have someone's going to be right. All right. 
Uh, our hero says, I figure I likely have 10 outs. I presume he has either an over pair to mine or a set. If he has three, four, then I only have eight outs. I really don't think he has that in. Uh, since rivering a set would be no good. There's a small chance, uh, for example, ace king that I'm already ahead. Uh, I decide that I'm not quite getting the odds I need to call. Therefore, I should fold. But eventually, I must have tanked for at least 45 seconds. <laughs> 45 seconds to tank? <laughs> It isn't a cash uh, game. Yeah. Uh, I call anyway. And once again, he says weak. <laughs> uh, our opponent shows 6-7. Mm. Uh, so it means I actually have six more outs for a total of 16 outs. I'm approximately a 33% dog. Could be worse. The river is an ace, and I lose the hand. Uh, he says <laughs> I reply for 100, work it up to 673, which might be the highest profit. I've made it any cash game session session because unfortunately I haven't had all that many winning cash game sessions. But that's not bad. They're in 673 after losing this hand at 225. So yeah, and I think this qualifies for irony. Uh, irony is actually much harder to, uh, to accomplish than you think. But I think this qualifies for irony that he won his first hand on turning two pair and he lost that money yeah, to a guy right. turning to pair. I, I I don't know if that's actually pure irony or not, but uh, it's it's interesting. And I everything in the universe in balance, right? Yeah, and I don't know if I mean it makes sense now that you read the hand back to the, the guy. Okay, the guy limped or called a minimum and then got the pot eyes to call with his little connectors, probably suited, and then flops top pair and thinks it's good, which we know it's not. And maybe if we come alive on that turn or on that flop. Like you said, maybe we do something bigger, more bold there. Maybe he folds the six away. Um, maybe not. But then on that turn, you're never getting this guy to fold. So at that yeah. point, you're. I think it should screwed. be tough to get him off that flop as well. Yeah, too. I do too. So yeah, um, yeah I think you're going to lose that money uh, no matter what you did. But you probably could have folded on the end. It was obvious we were beat. It was just whether or not we were going to hit those outs. And I, I don't mind hitting those outs. It's just I'd rather have two streets to do it than one. Right. Yeah. No. But, uh, yeah. All right, Big Guru. Sounds like you need to go on another Annie at Poker Cruise. <laughs> That's all right. Which is where I will be next week, so look for uh, a, a show from the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. <laughs>